Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. We are in this series where we're talking about being restored and how we go through that in our pattern of life. And so for today's scripture, to center us around that, we're going to hear from the book of Colossians. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about the things above and not the things on earth. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image there is neither Jew nor Greek, Circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body. And be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I have absolutely the best job. Uh, It is an amazing job in part because no two days are exactly the same. And in most days, I don't know what I'm going to face in the day. In fact, most days, I don't even know how my day is going to start. It might start with news that we need to seek some repair on our air conditioner. It might start with me preparing a Bible study. It might start with a meeting with a local official. There's any number of ways my day could start. But today, today my day started with a Facebook message from a parishioner from years ago. I woke up, there was a notification on my phone that I had a message, I opened the message, and this is what it said. I've been struggling with a few questions about God lately. I'd like to run them by you and hear your thoughts. Yes! (laughs) That is a great way to start a day. And so as I was getting ready to come into church today, I'm bouncing messages back and forth. And we were talking about a lot of things, a lot of meaning. Our purpose here in, in life, why did God create us? But also what came up in that conversation is, why Jesus? 
What exactly, why do we need Jesus? What did Jesus do for us? What's the work of salvation that is accomplished through Christ? And so we've heard a little bit about that as we've talked about this, this series. You know, um, Pastor Andrea mentioned a little bit about it. We talked about it in terms of justifying grace. But we're going to dig a little more deeply into the work of Jesus today since we're talking about work that gets done. And there, in John Wesley's time, there were two kind of primary ways that, that Methodists tended to approach the work of Jesus Christ. And one of those is what's called the juridical approach or judicial approach to what Jesus is doing. And this, this idea goes like this, that, that God is a, a, a great judge and that God has judged us all guilty, that we all have sin in our lives, and we are required to make restitution, to pay a price, to pay a penalty for that guilt. Um, but it's so great that we couldn't do it on our own, and so Jesus sort of steps into our place and fills that role as the one who takes on the punishment for our sin. And I will tell you that that, that is certainly they're present in the biblical witness, and it's been present throughout Christian history, that understanding of that's what Jesus has done. And it fit really well in a Middle Ages understanding of the world because, because that was a world of feudalism in which people owed due to a lord and that they had to pay this price to the lord. Um, and that, and that worldview really fit with this judicial understanding of what Jesus does. But there are some problems with this understanding. In the first place, it makes God out to be this sort of tyrant God. Um, and, and that's problematic. But even more than that, there's a logical problem here because it makes it seem like God couldn't do anything about sin, that our sin was so great it was beyond God's control. And so God had to come up with this way to manage this. And so, uh, but God couldn't handle the sin without that? So while it is a, a long-standing understanding of how we view the work of Jesus, it's not one that we necessarily have to hold to. And I don't even think in Wesley's time, he, he did talk about this because, again, it was the way it was talked about. But it was not the way he favored talking about the work of Jesus Christ. He had a, he had a different approach, um, also present throughout the biblical witness and throughout the presence of Christian history. He tended to favor what we would call the therapeutic understanding of what God does for us. And that really fits Wesley's MO, because I don't know if you knew this, but John Wesley was the author of a book called Primitive Physic, which was the most popular medical treatise at the time. It was like the equivalent of WebMD, like everybody had it, right? Um, it was enormously popular, and, and Wesley really believed that taking care of your body was an important part of being a faithful person, and that God wanted us to care for that body. And it also fit Wesley's theology of understanding God in terms, and the work that Jesus does, in terms of being the great healer or the great physician. And that also fits better our understanding of God as love, that God wants us healed. And our understanding of grace, that it is extended to us, and all we have to do, the healing is there, all we have to do is receive it, follow the prescription, so to speak. And I've got to say, I like this approach to the work of Jesus as well. And it fits, it fits really well with my understanding of grace and my own story. So I'm going to share a little bit of my own uh, story with you today. So I keep forgetting to tell the staff, I'm not going to be here on Monday because um, I have to go to UAMS. <laughs> um, so don't, don't look for me tomorrow. Um, so 
Uh, none of you look for me tomorrow either, unless you're going to UAMS. Um, I have to go to UAMS. I go to UAMS about quarterly um, to see my hematologist because I have a blood disease called hemochromatosis. Most people don't know what hemochromatosis is. A few people, well, there's always somebody that has someone in their family that has this. But basically, I overabsorb iron. And it is a tremendously um, traumatic disease if it's not taken care of. If it's taken care of, it's fine. It's no problem. But if it's not managed, then it causes every problem you can think of. Because what happens is iron settles in your organs. And it starts doing all the bad things. It starts causing stroke and heart disease and liver disease and pancreatic cancer and infertility and dementia um, and diabetes. So basically, if it can go wrong with your body, hemochromatosis can cause it. So it does need to be paid attention to, right? But I'm going to share with you how, how that has all unfolded, how my understanding of this has all unfolded. And it started um, when I had a doctor who was checking me for anemia. Actually, that's a fairly common thing for women to, to suffer from. And what she discovered, they, they would call me and they would say, your iron is a little high. Quit taking multivitamins with iron in it. Okay, so, okay. And I, you know, they'd call every six months and say that. And I was like, all right, I'm done that, you know, whatever. I'm not paying too much attention. But then, one night, I was watching The Daily Show. You wouldn't think The Daily Show could save your life, but here we go. I was watching The Daily Show, and there was a gentleman on there that was talking about unintended consequences. And he talked about the fact that in the British Isles, they did this practice where they put leeches on people and took blood out of them, right? They did bloodlettings. And for a lot of people, that's not a healthy thing. But it turns out that's exactly how you treat hemochromatosis. You bleed us. And so it overpopulated that genetic strain in the British Isles. So people with British heritage run a higher likelihood of having this disorder. And this, this gentleman said, if you have it and you're, it's not taken care of, it's fatal. And he starts telling all the things that it causes. And I sat up and went, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I, I, I have this problem. So I called my doctor and said, hey, I quit taking those vitamins two years ago. My iron's still high. And she said, oh, you need to go to a hematologist. So I went to a hematologist. He diagnosed me. He said, yes, you have hemochromatosis. To give you an idea, my normal iron count is between 25 and 75. When I went to the hematologist, it was 787. Yeah, yeah. I was iron woman, let me tell you. <laughs> but, but there was something also very powerful in the doctor saying to me, you have this condition, but we can control it. I know what to do with this. But it's not a pill. It's not a shot. It, this is a genetic code. This is who I am. And so it requires a lot of work. So it requires routine phlebotomies. It requires going to the doctor on a regular basis. It requires MRIs and, and ultrasounds to make sure my organs are all still okay. It, it requires regular blood work. It requires, I have terrible veins, it turns out, so I have a port to do my blood draws from. So I have to also have maintain my port. And I have to avoid things like orange juice because vitamin C helps your absorption of iron. But also, dark chocolate blocks the absorption of iron. <laughs> 
So, for therapeutic purposes, I eat a, a fair amount of dark chocolate. Now, why, why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you because I think it's a good understanding for this therapeutic reality of, of grace and healing that happens in our lives. So if we think of sin as that excess iron, it's just part of our bloodstream. It's just who we are. It's just the reality of being a human. It's that thing that keeps us from being fully healthy, from being fully connected to God. Whatever it is, it's just part of the human reality. It's there. But God is sending these kind of early warning signals, these, these, these test results, and saying, hey, pay attention to this, pay attention. And that's what we talk about when we talk about provenient grace. It was God reaching out to us and sending us a signal that, you know, you really, I could help you out with this. Invite me in. And then last week, Pastor Andrea talked to us about convicting grace. That moment when you, are, you, when you realize, oh, you know what, I need help. This is going to be tragic. If I don't have God in my life, it's like the guy on The Daily Show. He was my convicting grace moment, right? It, that whatever signal it is that finally gets your attention that you say, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And then you go to the great healer, the great physician who is Jesus, who says, yes, sin is in your body, but I have the way to break its power. I, can, I have the path of healing for you. But that doesn't just happen in that one moment, right? There's some responsibility. There's a journey ahead. There's a life of learning how to live more healthy, of learning, learning how to live this path of being a faithful person. And that's what we call sanctifying grace. That's the maintenance work that we do, right? And that's what brings us to this passage from Colossians. This passage is like a prescription. It's one of many prescriptions that we have in the Bible. It's a list of things that, you know, if, you would, if you'd work on these things, it will help break that power of that disease of sin. It will help you live more in that image of God that you have been created to be. It will help you throw off that old human nature. It's the work that we have to do. Now, I want to just lift up a few of the things in here because some of these things, I think, cause some consternation or some confusion. One of them is the mention of sexual immorality. That gets batted around a lot of different ways. And I will tell you, if you go to the Greek, you know me, I always like to go to the Greek, right? Um, if you go to the Greek, the word that's being used there is porneia. You might recognize that because it's in the same thing as pornography, right? It's that they're the same word, basically. But what, what was meant when, when they used the word porneia in the first century was anything that is um, sexually abusive or exploitive. Anything that, that takes something as beautiful as our sexual expression and uses it to abuse people, to exploit them, uses it in harmful ways. That is what is meant by sexual immorality. And then if we look at this, this obscene language, I love that, that the call to worship that we used, you replace that with abusive language because I think that's actually much more appropriate because there is no list of words you're not supposed to speak in the Bible, right? We don't have a George Carlin, you know, the, <laughs> the words you aren't supposed to say on television. It's not in there. There's not that kind of restriction there. Um, so I, I think of what obscene language is is anything that interrupts our witness, 
to someone else. So if you are with someone for whom using some, one of those words that George Carlin mentioned would be offensive to them or be harmful to them, don't use those words. But these days, it is also an interruption of our witness in some cases to not use those words because we're not fully present with people and living in the life that they're living. So you kind of have to gauge your context, right? What I will say you should not use words for, regardless, is again, to be abusive, to be harmful to someone else who is also created in the image of God. So don't use your language for abuse. That is what is obscene to God. And then if we look at the, at the good things we are encouraged to do in this passage, one of them is to tolerate one another. When I was reading and preparing for this sermon, I discovered that Wesley coined the phrase, agree to disagree. How about that? Yeah. It's, it's kind of a core to who John Wesley is, and it's a core to Methodism, and it's heartbreaking that we now have Methodists that cannot agree to disagree. Well, we probably always have, but we're, it's living out painfully among us right now. How heartbreaking. But I will tell you this, I am so encouraged by this church because you have not just agreed to tolerate, because tolerating is abiding someone's presence. But you've gone the next step and said, we won't just tolerate, we will welcome. We will embrace those who come in, we will love them, we will learn about them, we will hear about their life and their story and be present in that. You have gone the next step beyond to say you are a beloved child of God made in the image of God. And you are welcome here. Now, that's difficult work. All of that is difficult work. And we won't always be perfect at it. Um, By far, we will not. In my own journey in my health, I have not been perfect about it. I told you, my veins are not cooperative, so I needed the assistance of a port, right? But also, when I moved from Dallas, Dallas is where I was diagnosed, when I moved from Dallas to Arkansas, it took me a little while to find a hematologist, to find the right place to where I needed to be. And so I stumbled for a bit, and my, my iron got out of control for a while there. And I had to play catch-up. I had to do some extra work. We're all going to do that in a journey of faith as well. There'll be times when we're walking really well and times when we're stumbling. And we're going to need a little bit more assistance. I love that Elliot pointed out that one of the great things about being in a duet or being in, in a group is that you have each other to say, you know, I see you're struggling with that. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me, let me help you get it down better. That's what, that's what a body of Christ does. We encourage one another. We help one another in this journey. And next week we're going to talk about some practices that make perfect, that help us in that journey as well. And so as we're doing this, I just encourage us to continue striving, to continue striving to do what what verses 9 through 11 say. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Let's work to being that people, that body, that collection of of one in the many.
Let's work towards that. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.